lovely lot and welcome to the second episode in this series of The Independent Spouse. Today I have been talking to a wonderful charity founder who flipped the adversity of the pandemic into a project that has helped thousands of frontline health workers across the country. But first, a little note from the Royal British Legion who kindly sponsor this series. The RBL know that families are the most important support structure within the serving community. But time spent apart during exercises and operations has its challenges and can be a strain on any relationship. As the UK's largest armed forces charity, the RBL works with its partners to support us when we need a bit of support ourselves. They are here for us 365 days a year, even if it's just for a phone call to talk to a friendly voice. Head over to rbl.org.uk for more information. And now on to this week's interview with the lovely Emma Henderson. Project Wingman took flight at the start of the pandemic, providing specialist VIP lounges run by grounded airline staff to provide first-class service for frontline NHS workers. What follows is a fascinating interview that looks behind the scenes at the airline industry and the difference a good idea at the right time can make. I really hope you enjoy this episode of The Independent Spouse. Hello, Emma. It's so lovely to get to talk to you properly. We've known each other for a little while on and off. We met through the choirs, but now I get to finally sit down with you and properly interview you and get to know you and share your story. I know for you, like a lot of people, COVID has just flipped their lives upside down. It's changed yours massively, which has in turn helped you create this amazing thing. But before we get stuck into that, could you do us a little introduction as to who you are and what you do? Sure, it's brilliant to sit down and chat to you, like you say, and thanks so much for asking me to do this. And as you say, you know, we've met through the choirs and things. So I'm Emma Henderson. Until last September, I was Captain Emma Henderson at EasyJet and I was based at Gatwick and flying people all over Europe, which was my job for the last 11 years. And we've had a sort of base in the north of Scotland, at what a lot of people will still know as RAF Kinloss, but it's now an army base. So we've had a kind of home base there since we first got married and moved up here. But of course, being a military family, we've moved all around the world. So I've basically moved my job to fit in with our postings. And because we're now living back up at Kinloss and I was working at Gatwick, um, COVID and the grounding of flights brought an end to my career because I can't commute to London anymore. Or at least I can, but not without being away from home all the time. And that's not an option for me. So I took voluntary redundancy last September. And in the meantime, I set up a charity called Project Wingman, of which I'm now CEO, and which I spend two days a week running now. But it's kind of when you're running something that you've created, you never really take time off. So, <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. So let's talk about Project Wingman, which is the most amazing charity. Did it start before lockdown or was it in response to lockdown? Well, it was kind of in response to lockdown because it was sort of born from the fact that COVID was approaching and, you know, flying around Europe. We were very aware of the fact that we were going to be sat on the ground for a period of time. Nobody knew how long it was going to be. And aircrew really liked to be busy. So it was one of those things where I think that the idea of doing nothing, although that's a very, very tempting idea right now, it wasn't really something we felt was an option back then and there were a couple of like-minded people that I knew who felt the same way and so I had a chat with a guy called Rob who is a professor of aviation psychology he's also a clinical psychologist at the Royal Free Hospital in London 
And his company oversees the peer support programs at EasyJet, British Airways and a number of other airlines. So I knew him through that because I was a peer mentor and he introduced me to someone else at BA. And we basically had a couple of phone calls about our ideas of how Aircrew could help. And that's where Project Wingman sort of came from. And it was literally a good idea in a phone call to opening our first lounge within three weeks. And what is it that the charity actually does? Initially, the idea was that we would approach hospitals and ask them to provide us with a large enough space that would allow for social distancing that wasn't patient facing to protect our volunteers. And it would be a space where we could just provide a different atmosphere, a space where people on busy shifts who often weren't going home for days on end could unwind, relax, just have a little bit of a change of scene during their hospital shifts because what they were seeing was already pretty bad back in March. Before even some of the stories started to hit the news, there was a lot of stress and anxiety and difficulty amongst NHS staff. So it was just really a way of lifting them up and saying, we're here, we're listening, how can we help you? Because the NHS are very giving people by their very natures. So we were able to turn around and say, actually, no, we'll make you the cup of tea. You don't need to make it for yourself, just sit down and have a chat with us. For them, it was the idea that they could sit down and talk about, you know, particularly flying and where do you fly to? And let's talk about holidays and all those things that we might not get this year. And then it kind of grew because the NHS was overwhelmed with huge generosity from the general public. And the generosity was shown sometimes in useful things like iPhone chargers, but also in literally tons of chocolate. I mean, I don't know how many tons of chocolate were delivered to NHS trusts throughout the UK over the last year, but it presented them with a little bit of a problem because all hands were on deck managing ICUs and trying to control how patients were looked after. And they just didn't have the wherewithal to distribute these things. And the other problem that they had is if they left boxes of chocolates out, for example, there'd be a massive smash and grab situation because the body's natural response to stress is to need sugar because you get into fight or flight mode. And if you don't know where your next bar of sugar is coming from, you take more than one. So people would turn up and just empty boxes of chocolates and take them off themselves and then there'd be nothing left for anyone else. So we were able to help with that as well. And bars of chocolate and things like that were great to distribute. But we also found there were loads of other things like beauty gift boxes and manicure sets. Yeah, lots and lots of food, obviously. Newspapers and magazines, you know, to the tune of eight million pounds of donated newspapers and magazines we've had in the last 18 months. So we were able to distribute those. And that's where the idea of the sort of first class lounge came from, rather than it just being a space to have a cup of tea. We then kind of took on board things like sponsorship from Bose, who gave us a load of sound systems. And we had balloon arches and plants given to us. And we tried to create a space where it sounded different. You know, there'd be nice music playing and it felt a bit different. And it felt we wanted to try and recreate a first class lounge scenario on the basis that actually most of us as aircrew are never going to sit in a first class lounge and a lot of NHS staff would be in the same position. So to try and give them that extra bit of care when they were really on their knees. And that's what we did. And that's what we've been doing for the last 18 months. And it's all run on a volunteer basis. Is that right? Is it grounded aircrew? Absolutely. Initially, it was just grounded aircrew. It's obviously now become redundant. Some aircrew have been made redundant. Quite a lot have been made redundant, obviously, over the last year or so. 
and yeah, grounded air crew looking after NHS staff. It's all a completely voluntary situation. So the entire charity, even the management of it, is all run on a voluntary basis. So none of us have earned a penny from doing it. And that's because there isn't any money to earn. So all the money we get for Project Wingman goes into our projects, like the buses that we have. And sometimes we've had to subsidise the lounges. There's been things to buy, like banners to say that we're a wingman lounge and things like that. But any money that we've received has gone back into the charity. Plows straight back into it. And I imagine being, because we all locked down and we all stayed in our houses and we had the Zoom, thank goodness we had the Zoom, but we didn't really have to do any sort of, well, I didn't have to do any scary missions out, didn't have to go to hospital, thank goodness, during that time. So for me, I didn't have any experience of that new front line, as people were calling it. So you must have had a really good idea of what it was like for the NHS workers. What was their feedback on the lounges and the things that you were giving to them? It's been amazing, actually, the whole time. And yeah, you're right. I mean, initially, there was a huge influx of people who wanted to do this because firstly, it got them out of the house. And secondly, you know, as I said before, aircrew like to be useful. So I think it gave people a sense of purpose when they didn't even know if they'd have their jobs anymore. I think initially there was a kind of, you know, what's that? cabin crew or pilot doing in the hospital but once people realized we were there to care for them it was just we've had such fantastic feedback things like you've changed the working culture of this hospital you've literally saved my life we've had even as a comment we've had hospital management saying you know our staff now feel so valued because of the welfare that you're able to provide and individuals telling us that, you know, they wouldn't have got through some of the dark days without us being there. But the loveliest feedback we had, really, for me personally, came from the daughter of some friends of ours that we knew at Finningley years ago. So he was a, a NAV going through training with my husband, kind of kept loosely in touch with them. And their daughter was working at one of the hospitals in Birmingham. And they contacted me one day to say, we just wanted to thank you because every day on her way home from work, our daughter has been in tears on the phone. And today was the first day that she laughed. And we said, what's changed? And she said, I went into a wingman lounge and I just feel so much better about life because I feel like someone's there to support me. And that was just brilliant for me because obviously that was a very personal thing. And when, you know, you see that what you've been doing is touching the lives of people that you actually, okay, I don't know her, but I know her parents. That was a really special moment for me. Gosh, it is, because I think that we were all so keen to support the NHS, you know, because we've some of us have experienced in the past through our military lives where our partners have been on serving frontline operations and they've had the support from people back home. And it's that little boost that they get when things are tough. And I think that the poor industries in this country that are serving us and supporting us sometimes do get a little bit forgotten and then we had this amazing NHS thing which we always knew the NHS was amazing and yet we didn't really know what to do and now there is something tangible that they have which is ever so important and I think that feedback is brilliant and I love it and it's so as a concept I mean obviously you work very hard but as a concept it's such a simple thing. That's the secret of it though is that it's so simple it's literally have a cup of tea and talk to someone and that's it. And the other thing is, in ordinary times, something like this would take years to get through all the red tape. And the need was so great that we came in and said, we can give you this. And they went, can you start yesterday? You know, so we were able to get in really, really quickly. I love it. And did you do it all in uniform? Yeah. So the volunteers all wear uniform to identify them as 
coming from Project Wingman because otherwise you could have anyone turning up in a lounge and nobody really knowing who they were for. But of course that presented us with a little bit of a problem later on as airlines then started to make people redundant and there were sort of two situations. So firstly there was the, I'm not proud of my airline anymore, I don't want to wear their uniform. And then there was, I don't have an airline anymore, I can't wear their uniform. So we actually created our own uniform of sorts, which is basically a lanyard that everyone wears and everyone has a pin badge as well. But then we've got blue ties for the men and blue scarves for the ladies. Although, of course, if the men wanted to wear a scarf and the ladies wanted to wear a tie, that would be fine too. Then we asked them to wear a pale top and dark trousers and that's it. So it's, you know, everybody's got a pale blouse or a pale shirt and dark trousers. So it's kind of a little bit of a, a mix of providing your own, but us providing you with a little bit of an identity. And we worked very hard on making sure people understood and understand that, you know, if you're part of the wingman family, you know, we're not going to turn our backs on you. So as the airline started to let people go, we became a lifeline for our own air crew as well. But it was really important that they were there in uniform because it helped people to identify them as wingman volunteers and gave people a starting point for conversation as well. You know, oh, I see you work for Virgin or I see you work for EasyJet or whatever. Where do you fly to kind of thing? Yeah, something away from talking about a pandemic. Absolutely. And just that switch off for 10 or 15 minutes during the day was enough for people to just feel like they could regroup a bit. What is your favourite part of being the founder of this charity? I guess I've got lots of favourite bits, really. I mean, I think my favourite bits really are when we get, you know, the good news stories, the feedback we get from the surveys that we do on the bus. You know, buying the bus was probably the biggest achievement to date. You know, this bus, which is a mobile lounge called Wellbe, and we launched that in February in Homerton in North London. And that's basically booked out until the end of the year, supporting hospital trusts in sort of London, the southeast. And actually, we're launching our second bus, which is going to be called Wingby, and that's going to be launched at East Grinstead. So everything about it has been amazing. To end up as a charity that owns, we actually own four buses. I think that's quite, I step back from that and I think, good grief, you know, this is a charity with six and a half thousand volunteers. We're probably down to about 6,000 now. You know, 104 lounges across the whole UK. We had two lounges in New York that were crewed by American aircrew. And now we have these buses and we're touring the country and people know who we are. So when you talk to people in the NHS about Project Wingman, on the whole, people know who you are. Um, There are areas of the country that we haven't been able to get to, but largely we're known in the NHS world. It's nice to feel like we've got an influence on how people can be looked after it going forward because NHS trust managers and CEOs turn to us and say, how can we keep you for longer? How can we do this well-being thing for our staff? So to have become that important to an organisation that we're trying to support is amazing. And then the other side of it, I guess, is what we've been able to give to Aircrew because it's been really bleak and it's still difficult. You know, I've got friends just this week whose rosters have just been wiped because all the flights have been cancelled. And you think this is still going on 18 months later, you know, and people are trying to pay their mortgages and stuff. And people come to me all the time and say, oh, if it wasn't for Wingman, I don't know how I would have survived. And I think, wow, that's... Something that when you're doing it every day and you're in the middle of it, I think you sometimes fail to step back and really appreciate what you've done. Yeah, and you should, and it should be celebrated. We've got lots of fans in the airline industry because my husband's a C-130 pilot, so everybody left and joined the airlines, which was wonderful when they were flying, but now they're having the toughest time ever. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about the airline industry and the start of the pandemic. So for us here, having friends posted in Italy and in Spain and further abroad, we kind of felt the wave coming because 
they suddenly asked if we could do online video. So I have this community and we all meet up and we have these weekly meetings. And we went really early. We went at the start of March before the UK lockdown. So I'm curious to know as somebody who was traveling a lot at that time, you must have had kind of an idea that this wasn't just, you know, how swine flu was thought of and that this is a bit different. So how did that work out? Yeah, I think that became apparent quite early on. And initially it was dismissed by so many people over here. And I mean, if you think about it, it didn't even really hit the news until January 2020. And, you know, I think that there was initially a little bit of an, oh, something's happening in China going on. And then when we started to hear stories coming out of Milan, particularly, that's one of our biggest bases. And we've got friends within the industry, you know, saying to us, oh, do you know what's happening here and all the rest of it? And flights started to get cancelled in Italy. And we were like... This is actually a much bigger deal than anybody's letting on. And I think particularly in my airline, there was a lot of a big smokescreen. You know, the last thing an airline wants to do is say anything that's going to put people off flying because that's what their business depends on. So, you know, we were still being told in March, oh, yeah, it's fine to fly to Italy. It's perfectly safe. You're absolutely okay to fly to Italy. And I was thinking, really? Have you seen what's going on in Italy? And have you seen the hospitals there? You know, it was on the news by that point, but I think it was probably mid-February that I started to feel quite worried about what things were going to look like and whether or not, you know, were we going to be grounded? And I had been grounded once before as well, because when I first did my line training, starting with EasyJet, the Icelandic volcano, Eliofiljokul, which I'm very proud that I can pronounce, that erupted and grounded everything in Europe for 10 days. And that was just in the middle of my line training. And I thought then, am I still going to have a job at the end of this? How long is this going to go on? So I'd kind of already been there, but I just had a sense that this is much, much bigger. And the thing that we started to see, I suppose, first of all, was passenger numbers dropped right off. So normally we'd be flying full aircraft, particularly to places like Barcelona and, and Milan and Amsterdam. And we'd find that we'd be carrying half loads, if that. It was very bizarre. And I very, very vividly remember my last flight, which was down from here. So EasyJet used to have a Gatwick to Inverness night stop, which I used to bid for all the time so that I could come home in my working block. I would do back to back Invernesses. So, you know, I'd go away on day one, but I'd be home that night, you know. And I operated out of here in the afternoon. And then I flew on to Luxembourg and there was just something about that day. It was the last day of my block. So I knew I wasn't working for a few days. And there was just something about that flight that felt a little bit significant. And I felt like it was going to be my last flight for a long time. I had no idea it would be my last flight ever, which is probably a good job because it would have been very emotional. But, you know, I flew to Luxembourg and coming back, all the passengers leaving the aircraft said goodbye and good luck. And I was like this is actually really bad. This is not just me imagining in it. You know, other people feel this as well. And it felt like a very significant moment. The next day, I drove on an empty road to an empty Gatwick, took an empty train to Luton, took an empty plane back to Inverness, got off the plane in Inverness, and it was like nothing had ever happened. So we were like probably three weeks behind everywhere else up here. There's always been a bit of a bubble up here where because of the Cairngorm Mountains, I think people feel like nothing's going to touch us. But it was quite weird to see all that silence down in London and to see Luton Airport empty was quite shocking, actually. And to come back to Inverness and people would be saying, what virus? What? There's a virus going on. And he's like, do you not watch the news? I mean, I know we're kind of far away, but and it was quite weird to balance that out. 
it was very frustrating for me because at the same time, the company was saying, oh, yeah, it's all fine to fly to Italy. There's no risk. It's all very safe. There's not going to be any redundancies. We've got plenty of money in the bank. And I feel like as soon as management starts saying things like that, it's time to start worrying. Because if they start telling you that you're in a good place, it means they've thought about whether or not you are. It was horrible. And it was scary because my livelihood depended on the airline surviving. And we didn't know if it would or not. And now we have come to this weird, let's open up everything and click on and hope for the best, which some people support, some people don't. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I'm very quite happy hiding in my little mag quarter and hoping for the best. So the airline industry is obviously, I mean, there's still restrictions on travel. And I don't know if you are still working in these circles, if you know anything. But how is it going? I mean, I'm thinking of Project Wingman as well. How, if the airline industry opens up and everybody's free... Is there still a need for Project Wingman where you still have your volunteers? Or is it the case that the airline industry is just a little bit knackered for a little bit longer? In terms of Project Wingman, we have hit a little bit of a dip in terms of people wanting to volunteer. It's partly due to the nice weather and restrictions lifting. It's also partly due to the fact that, you know, aircrew have been giving everything they have left for 18 months. And it's actually wrong for the NHS to still be relying on free welfare support from people who are furloughed or redundant so that needs to change and that's something I'm working on it is going to have to start becoming a situation that trusts employ our volunteers because they haven't got jobs they're really skilled at looking after people and they're also known to the trust because they've been working there for so long in terms of long-term sustainability for us that's why we've got the buses because that allows people to give a two-week blast of time and then the bus will move on to somewhere else so we've done that deliberately to make it more sustainable we've got a number of our static lounges open still and we've said to the team leaders you know when you get to a point where you're struggling don't struggle go out with a bang celebrate what you've been able to achieve people have been grateful for what you've done but don't fizzle out you know have an end point So we've very deliberately done that. And there will be some lounges that will continue. In terms of need, absolutely. I think the need is greater now perhaps than it ever was before because it's kind of a different need because initially it was a sort of adrenaline rush of shock and kind of, oh gosh, we've got to get this done. We've got to make this work. Now it's more of a lid coming off a pressure cooker where people have been under pressure for such a long time. NHS workers' jobs have been horrific for the whole 18 months and will be horrific going into the future as well because I saw a great thing on Facebook that explained the lifting of restrictions. That's not happening because the virus has gone away. That's happening because there's now space for you in an ICU. So act responsibly. And I thought that was such a great way of explaining it's not freedom day. It's just like there's now space to care for you when you're about to die day. So we've still got to all be careful. I think that, you know, with the traffic like system with countries opening up and all the rest of it. Yeah, that's great that the foreign travel is permitted. But, you know, in the news today, America's just banned people from coming to the UK because our COVID numbers are too high. So that's going to knock a load of travel on the head. Spain's going on to the ambulance. So that's going to knock a load of travel on the head. And yes, people are being vaccinated. But I think that, you know, this is going to be our new normal. And we are going to see for a long time to come. I mean, the airline industry is talking about 2026 before it's recovered. And there will be casualties from that. There are a lot of airlines that won't be able to survive until then. When you think that, you know, EasyJet announced yesterday it was losing £3.1 million a day in the spring of this year. That's huge, huge numbers. 
and there will be casualties from it but I don't think it's something that we need to be scared of because it's just a reset so we need to just go okay should we have been flying to Spain for 199 absolutely there are lots of more expensive tickets but was the way we were living right in the first place and actually can we turn this around and say okay it's terrible for the airline industry but perhaps when we reset we'll do things a little bit differently so that we're acting more responsibly because it's not just about flying on cheap holidays it's also about making travel sustainable and we all need to travel because we are such a global society now but this could be a really big opportunity for us all rather than something that we see as being a terrible doom and gloom thing. And having the space to take a breath and realise that whereas if you're still going full power to everything there isn't a chance to stop and think about these things and actually that's a really positive way of thinking about it which is good because I've had this terrible realisation you're talking about oh it got a bit much in this poor podcast series it's all about inspiration and happiness and got a little bit pandemic but it's fascinating what you said and I love the fact that you've come and shared this with us because it's a little insight to a world that we don't really know about and um, another positive that's come out of it is Project Wingman which is fab. And you are also writing a book, which I love, and you're doing some motivational speaking. So could you tell us about that as well? Yeah, well, you know, in line with what you said, you know, you have to take the positives out of it. You have to find the way of moving forward with it. And the businesses that have done well and really survived through the pandemic are the ones that haven't just said, I'm going to wait for everything to go back to normal. They're the ones that have said, you know, I'm going to put greenhouses outside my pub so people can isolate in there and still be together, you know. A bit of a cliche, but making lemonade out of lemons. And we just have to find ways of doing that and supporting each other while we do it. And that's where the motivational speaking has come from, really. And the fact that I've turned things around for myself I had to leave a career that I absolutely adored. Yeah, I loved my job. And anybody who watched Inside the Cockpit will see how much I loved my job. And I gave my heart and soul to it. And it wasn't my choice to leave. It was really a Hobson's choice. But sitting there navel gazing and feeling sorry for myself wasn't really an option. It's not how I am. It's not how I think people should be. It's kind of more seeing it as a season that's passed and what can I do now? You know, I'm only 48. It's probably a bit old for me to go back into the aviation industry, given the amount of time I've been away from it now. But actually, I've got lots of life left in me. And I've often been the person that's been the one that says, come on, we can do this, you know, being the encourager. So actually, I spent quite a lot of time over the last few months talking about Project Wingman, also talking about how we can encourage each other and that it's not all doom and gloom and that, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It just might look a bit different than we're expecting. So it kind of grew naturally into the ability to sort of do that as an actual career. So I was given a new enterprise allowance to set up a business as a motivational speaker and you have to go through the business plan process and explain to somebody you know proper grown-up about why your business is going to work and why it's a good idea for them to let you do this so yeah they granted me that I've got my first bookings to speak as paid gigs my first one's at the end of August and the next one's in November at the moment but I'm also talking to a number of other people about potential bookings which is fantastic it's been great to be able to step back from it for the last I mean I haven't worked for 18 months but I haven't been employed since September so I was still earning money obviously till the end of then you know I do need to earn money not to keep food on the table so much as because we all need to feel valued for what we're doing and sometimes that value comes from people praising you and all the rest of it but at some point you need to earn money for what you're doing so that's what I'm aiming to do I don't need to earn a lot but I need to earn something and I have a website www.emma-henderson.com 
I've had to learn an awful lot about, well, lots of things actually over the last 18 months because I've gone from airline captain to charity CEO and never studied business or anything like that. So that's been a massive learning curve. But I'm hoping that that will sort of grow once I've got a couple of, you know, seeing people face to face and doing talks to them, you know, hopefully will transform into more bookings and more people saying, yeah, absolutely, we'd love to hear you speak. And as part of that, I put a post on LinkedIn last year when I kind of bowed out of the airline industry, just called Folding My Wings, and just saying, you know, I've had a great time and thanks for the memories kind of thing. And it had 58,000 views. And I was like, oh, okay, that's quite good. And then when I kind of wrote blog posts, I found that they were getting quite a lot of views as well. So I kind of thought, you know, I think there's a book in here that I had been thinking about writing for some time because actually the story of being a military wife who then became an airline pilot is not a usual one. I had been asked already to consider writing something about that. And it's kind of turned into an actual book. And by sheer chance, I've managed to get myself an agent in London. So I actually, it's a real book that's actually happening rather than just an idea in my head. So that's going to be published next year. Yes, and I'll definitely share it as soon as it comes out because there are lots of us especially those of us who are military partners who, yeah, we've got lots of hats and I think yours is very inspirational. So we know how to find you on your website, but if we were interested in Project Wingman, if we were working for a hospital and we wanted you to come and look after us, make us a cup of tea, or maybe we wanted to support it in another way, how can we find Project Wingman? Our website is www.projectwingman.co.uk. All the information is on there. The way we support hospitals now is through the buses And the buses are the first thing that we've done that are not free. So we do charge the hospital trust for the buses to come to them. We think it's a very reasonable charge. And the fact that it's booked out to the end of the year kind of backs that up. So we've got two buses that are booked out till the end of the year, but we do have two more that we are waiting in the wings to be converted. So what we need for those and for that to happen is the money to come in for us to do the conversion. So we have to raise the roof because you can't stand up in the top of a double-decker bus otherwise. And then it needs resprayed, and we have to put certain things into it. And then it's ready to hit the road. So whether you'd like to come and join us on the Yorkshire Three Peaks that we're doing at the beginning of September and support us with that, or whether you have a financial donation you would like to make or a skill you think we might be able to utilise, we're always welcoming new people with their ideas and things they're able to do to help us, basically, because... By helping us, you're actually helping the NHS and the aircrew community as well, which I think deserves some support. So um, basically, if you think that you might be able to help us in any way at all, please get in touch. And you can get in touch with me directly, Emma Henderson at projectwingman.co.uk. So it's really easy to remember. Emma, it's been so lovely to talk to you. It's been fascinating. And thank you for sharing your story. I hope that lots of people listen to this and come and get involved and help you out. Fabulous. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Another huge thank you to Emma for sharing her story behind Project Wingman. I just love how the stories of members of our community and how they can create so many amazing things despite the challenges they face. So that's it for today. I will be of course back next week with another story from an inspirational partner and it's a good one so you don't want to miss it. Make sure you subscribe to catch it first and I shall see you next week.